0: Hey guys, welcome to the Week of Awesome! Uh, Doing it for two reasons. A, it's the week before Christmas. So I'm actually going to think about making this a regular thing where we do the Week of Awesome leading up to Christmas. Um, However, this year is because uh, I have to catch up on episode count um, since we have not posted anything in uh, about a month, uh, I apologize for that. Anyone uh, out there that knows what's going on, uh, you know why I've been late with it. Uh, on Tuesday's episode, December 20th, I'll probably get in a lot of detail because I am still uh, have to sit down and record that. It's going to be a solo podcast. Um, I'm going to sit down and record and talk about uh, why we have been delayed in posting some stuff. And just talk about things in general. Um, but let's not worry about that now. Today. Today. Uh, December... 18th we'll say Uh, Sunday December 18th we are starting the week of awesome right here on awesomepodcast.com and we're continuing our conversation with Kate Aldwich from the GSO and we're going to go beyond the moon in his space talk right here on awesomepodcast.com Awesome. Welcome to this week's edition of Everything is Awesome. I'm your host, Kev, and this is the show where we sit down and talk to awesome people about awesome things. Now, this is not a typical um, like part two show that I'm doing. Normally, like we sit down in one session, record both parts. I cut these things all together, but because of the um, great time difference... Uh, we, we're actually recording this. This is the first time in Everything is Awesome history that we're recording a two-part episode in actual two parts. It's, uh, it's kind of cool. A little uh, One of those little ticks off uh, the, the to-do board, I guess, for Everything is Awesome. Um, last week, we talked to this man about uh, space, and we're, we're going to go right back into it. Uh, we're going to move away from the moon and go to some other places. Please welcome back to the show... Uh, oh, my God. Awful. Cade? Aldwych Perfect Yes, alright uh, It's been a couple days for us uh, for, uh, since the last time we spoke um, Thanks for coming back on the show How are you doing, sir? Excellent, thank you for uh, inviting me Yes, um, so when we last uh, left off We kind of finished up talking about um, Lunar Station uh, 1 Correct uh, uh, That's going to be on the moon And all the fascinating details about that uh, same thing with Earth uh, Station 1 from the GSO. Um, then we kind of teased Mars a little bit. So let's kind of just jump right into it uh, and and talk Mars. Um, we teased the idea that you, uh, uh, you know, putting a, a station on there. I'm, I'm guessing Mars Station 1, uh, if I had to guess. Sounds um, like a good name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, what would you do? Because... I would imagine you know following suit with what you're doing with the moon earth station one is is set up to simulate the moon Uh, uh, what are you going to do for mars how are you going to prepare the mars station
1: yeah the mars station will probably be developed a whole lot different than the uh, lunar station at least uh, in terms of how we're situating ourselves for a lunar station Uh, basically as a commercial operation none of us have ever since the apollo program uh been back to the Moon. So actually living there and working there uh, requires a lot of uh, thought, a lot of uh, training, uh, a lot of different systems, and those systems need to be trained upon so that uh, once we do hit the ground on the lunar surface, we can do so much more effectively uh, and safer. Uh, With Mars, since we'll already have our establishment on the Moon, uh, we'll also have resupply, because the Moon can operate as a perfect platform for resupply operations to Mars. So, in effect, assets that will need to go to Mars will be able to develop right from the lunar surface. So we'll be developing those assets within an environment which is almost similar similar in scope to how we would uh, proceed on Mars. Uh, Mars having a limited atmosphere uh, is a little bit different from the Moon, but for the purposes of creating a station and operating in the station, we still need to be in a closed environment pretty much anywhere in in our solar system. Uh, from the moon, we've already had that experience, and it'll make our job going to Mars a whole, a lot easier. Plus, we'll be able to develop the assets that'll protect the crew on a, on a seven- to nine-month journey to Mars uh, in, in ships that are constructed from the moon that can protect against radiation.
0: So, uh, and what would, um, the, the I guess, the mission for Mars be? Uh, would it be similar to the moon, just kind of more exploration would it be uh explore like what uh, i guess explore like the the potential of sustainable life the,
1: the 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 other interesting thing about mars because it's so far away um determining a specific goal uh or many specific goals which is what's going to be needed uh there's going to be the, the term colonization, I, I don't like that term. And yeah, the business community doesn't, uh, usually gets turned off by the term colonization. And that's what a lot of the, uh, the Mars First folks think uh, uh, in terms of going to Mars. It's a colonization effort. Uh, to colonize a, a distant region, you need to have a reason to colonize. And the only reason they can come up with typically is uh, because we want to go and because we can live there. Uh, but that doesn't uh, help an investor out return uh, upon their investment. So without a specific goal to be able to uh, generate revenues for colonization, colonization is pretty much out. So you were correct when you were mentioning exploration. Uh, uh, and exploration can uh, be terms that, uh, uh, that delve into many different uh, aspects. One, since Mars is further out than Earth, And uh, uh, because it uh, uh, is situated in its location, we could put astronomy uh, platforms on it to search out further in space. Uh, It's also interesting in the fact that it has a very oblong uh, orbiting period uh, around the Sun, which will give us even further views into deep space. Uh, Not to mention the fact that uh, uh, science has proven that there is at least microbial life on Mars, so the the science's uh, aspects of Mars is uh, a very deterministic point from which we can obtain revenues to actually go to Mars and do some work.
0: And um, we, you know, we were discussing at least in the early uh, parts of going to the moon, like the time constraints that you, that you have uh, to spend there. Um, Would that all be kind of worked out by the time you got to Mars or is there's something similar to where you're spending seven to nine months to get there. You can only spend X amount of time and have to return. Yeah, well, with, with, uh, with the Mars uh, mission, because it's so far away,
1: uh, like I said, it has a very oblong orbit. Uh, it takes seven to nine months to get to it at its closest approach point to Earth. Uh, once you're there, you're stuck there for about two years before you reach that close, uh, close approach again. So oh, wow. basically going to Mars is long-term, and, and anybody that does go there... Uh, uh, is, is fairly limited in being able to uh, uh, return easily. Uh, mm. Either way, they're going to be there for at least two to three years before they can return. So long-term operations are going to be the order of the day on Mars.
0: And how long would it take to resupply from the Moon? Now, resupply can be a continuous effort from the Moon. Uh, I mentioned in the last
1: program we're going to develop a MAGRAIL. And with magrails, you can generate speed. And since the lunar surface has no atmospheric pressure, there's there's no air resistance to stop anything. So you can really uh, speed up uh, 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 materials and ships and components into space rather rather quickly, and, and whatever speed you want, without the uh, waste of fuel from uh, rocket lift. With that being said, there is some resistance in the form of gravity, but uh, it's one sixth that of her, So you do have to achieve speeds that can escape. Uh, the gravity well of the Moon, which is going to be fairly easy with a with a mag rail and the power supplies that we we put in in system to operate it. With a mag rail, we can launch containers uh, on our trajectory towards Mars, and at a speed that uh, Mars will catch catch those objects in its orbit and and, and within its gravity. And then from uh, from orbit around Mars, uh, assets can pick that material up and take it to the surface.
0: Oh, so that's so you. You would essentially kind of just throw the container full of supplies into space and let it its natural momentum take it to Mars
1: versus like a a rocketed ship? Correct. So basically, we could send supply containers. Uh, they'd be very sophisticated pl- supply containers that would carry some fuel and some rockets for for maneuvering uh, once it gets to Mars. But other than that, they'd just be carrying supplies, and we could sit there and send them continuously. So we could begin fairly early. Uh, sending supplies prior to uh, uh, any journey out there. So they could have tons of supplies literally in orbit waiting for them when they arrive.
0: Uh, but, but the, uh, the time frame would be about what, like seven to nine months, you know, same as coming from, you know, I guess earth. Correct. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now would, would I guess tourism be a, a option uh, for Mars or <laughs> I guess not if, if it, if long-term is two years. Yeah. I tourism
1: won't be an in- industry that operates very well on Mars, at least not in the, uh, uh, it would be in the uh, terms of somebody that happens to have that amount of time to be able to spend on tourism. So you're talking the very rich uh, might want to take a trip to Mars and stay there for two to three years before a return. Uh, there's not many people that that will probably do that, uh, so tourism probably isn't going to be the thing. And even though I hate to use the term colonization, at some point, uh, from exploration miss- missions, uh, stations will form. Mars will have to become also a platform like the Moon for further out. So it'll also be another waypoint along our along our journey. Uh, Mars itself, being that it does have a, a limited atmosphere and, and being that it does have one-eighth Earth's gravity, which is fairly close, uh, colonization on Mars would be a lot easier than on the Moon. So seeing a point in time 10, 10 to 15 years from now of people being on Mars and living on Mars, uh, I suspect those people would probably stay there for, for uh, quite a long time and live there and uh, and form their their new society if you will and a society that far removed will begin to create its own culture Uh, this is like some of the uh, this is like the one big dream of Elon musk but spacex is to retire on mars and that's why his big push is towards mars
0: and and it sounds like you know once once it gets to that point you know you're developing its own culture you mentioned i almost imagine at first, it sounds like I would—I would guess—would I guess would be like the moon, where where it would operate under international law. But I would imagine at some point, it just kind of would, by just nature of the human, the human way, it would develop its own governmental policies. Yeah, at some point it would. Yes. Um, now, uh, beyond Mars, because this is something that you know you kind of you dropped at the end of the last episode. Uh, and, and, and I, I don't know if there's, you know, what else we can talk about with Mars. Um, I know we, we, I think we pretty much covered, obviously, you know, it's, it's a great investment for, you know, businesses that, you know, want to open up, I guess, similar industries that they're going to have on the, on the moon, because you're going to have people out there long-term. So they're going to need food. They're going to need a place to sleep. They're going to need all that stuff. Um, What's beyond Mars for, for the GSO?
1: Uh, for the GSO beyond Mars, um, I fully intend and the GSO fully intends to drive humanity out into deep space. And that's, that's why we, we always say the moon is our first goal. Uh, from there, there are assets that the moon needs because the moon doesn't have it. Uh, the Moon does not have significant amounts of water, and the water it does have is very hard to get at, very hard to, to reach and process. At some point we will, but that, that uh, limited resource on the Moon uh, is not finite. It will only last a certain amount of time and be gone. So we need to find uh, uh, a very abundant source in the solar system, which is water. And uh, you have the asteroid belt, which is further out from Mars. So from Mars, we'll need a platform in the asteroid belt that can harvest uh, large chunks of water ice and and bring them back to areas that are are going to need it. Um, Water is significant in the fact that it can be turned into fuel. Uh, It can also be uh, used to create oxygen of course we need it to drink and clean and do everything we need for it and uh, on top of all that water can also be used as a a radiation shielding it's the best form of radiation shielding we know of currently so in that regard the mining industry of the asteroid belt will primarily be focused on water Uh, a lot of people will talk about from uh, planetary resources uh, and uh, deep space industries that want to mine mind the Asteroid Belt, they rarely talk about water, they talk about bringing uh, metals and, uh, and and other materials from Asteroid Belt to Earth to sell. And that's uh, next to impossible because the materials you get from the Asteroid Belt, you can easily dig out of the ground here on Earth at a lot cheaper price, so they won't find any buyers. So it's, it's kind of impressive that they're engaging on this long-term mining project of the asteroid belt and they don't consider water as being the resource that's going to be needed in space. Uh, from the asteroid belt and platforms there, um, To in order to turn humanity into a space-faring uh, uh, race, we need to go further out and lay platforms as we go. And The next stop for the GSO would be Jupiter and the moon called Callisto. And the reason why Callisto is so important is a floating rock kind of like the moon. It has a very limited atmosphere, uh, but it's full of metals, uh, things we can use to continue building. And it's at a location in Jupiter that is just outside of Jupiter's radiation belt. And it's the only uh, moon that is uh, pretty much outside of uh, Jupiter's uh, uh, radiation belt. this part of the Galilean moons, there's four of them. Uh, A lot of uh, scientists are interested in Io and Europa and some of the other moons that are around Jupiter, but they're within the uh, radiation belt, which is a very powerful one. Um, But from Callisto, we can develop the systems and assets we need to reach those other moons. And uh, Europa is significant in the fact that it's basically a planet of water. So it's a big floating rock Uh, It more than likely has a uh, warm ocean underneath its ice ice crust uh, simply because of the uh, gravitational pull of Jupiter uh, is constantly uh, making it in motion. Uh, In fact, it has some of the largest uh, geysers I think uh, NASA has seen on any of the moons in the solar system
0: so uh jupiter would not be a plausible place to go because of the radiation well know?
1: jupiter itself yeah it's just a gas it's a gas giant but it has a very okay. massive uh, radiation uh, shield around it kind of like we have we have a radiation belt around the earth it's called the van Allen belts and uh astronauts that go into deep space to the moon go through this radiation belt uh jupiter's is much more powerful so we have to be very careful in the systems we use to enter that radiation belt. So Callisto is just far enough away that uh, we can avoid that.
0: Okay. And th- that also it uh, sounds like basically once you get beyond the, the, the moon – um, everything beyond that becomes long term. How how long is the trip out to? Um, and I, I I apologize. I forget the name of the Jupiter moon already. But how long does it take to get to Jupiter? Well,
1: at uh, certain estimates, that. right now, probably about seven years, maybe, maybe less. Wow. Um, and by the time we're ready to go, uh, like I said, we can we can launch assets at speed from the lunar surface. Uh, with a uh, rocket assist, once we're moving, uh, we can achieve even faster speeds. So we might be able to drop that time down significantly.
0: Wow, uh, and, and that again. So when if, if it's a moon that's you know similar to our moon, where there's no um, atmosphere or anything like that, is that? I mean, I guess with the station, I mean you're, we're we're going to be doing it on the moon. That is somewhere that would be colonized. That's, uh, and I know you don't like that term, but essentially. At the end of the day, um, the Eventually exploration forces yes. that, yeah, yeah. So, and the way wow,
1: these areas yeah, will will be funded is mostly from the sciences and research and all of that stuff.
0: I mean, I I, I love it. It's it, it's essentially like Star Wars or Star Trek or any you know sci-fi show coming to life. You know exactly, uh, and that's where we should be. Very, yeah, that's a very exciting thing to to think about. Um, and is there anything beyond there? Like, is there any? Is it possible to to go? I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but is it feasible to to go beyond Jupiter's moon and and uh, explore, colonize beyond that? Absolutely, and I intend to. Uh,
1: like I said, uh, as as we continue uh, throughout the uh, solar system, uh, we'll be dropping outposts, and each of those outposts will be bring the technology needed to expand those outposts. And then uh, once we uh, arrive at Callisto and we start building our outpost on it, uh, we'll be able to do research, we'll be able to do uh, the sciences necessary, and uh, build the systems necessary to explore uh, the other moons all uh, all around the Jupiter system. From there, uh, Neptune is is my next favorite stop, and the moon Triton, which is another big, gigantic ice world that has uh, that has water, it has uh, methane and, uh, and nitrogen. So, these various worlds can fuel our progress all the way out to to the distant planet Neptune and its distant moon. And from there, uh, I even have plans of going into what's known as the Kuiper Belt, which is a belt of mm, billions of different uh, objects uh, everything from just uh, small asteroids up to what they call dwarf planets and in fact the yeah. uh, new new horizons mission nasa sent out that just passed up pluto recently is heading out to look at one of those planetoids out in the kuiper belt so it'll be several years before it actually reaches it but there is another interesting uh, planet or moon, I mean that uh, that uh, fascinates me. That's in a very elongated orbit around uh, around uh, Neptune, and uh, that planet I can't remember the name off the top of my head uh, does its uh, its long orbit, and that extends clear out into the Kuiper Belt, into the furthest distant regions of the Kuiper Belt, and then comes within close proximity of of uh, Neptune, and uh, I plan to put a uh, science research station on it so that we can track its progress clear out clear out into the Coopier Belt.
0: So is I guess it, it almost sounds like the, that from the most part, uh, save for Mars, the, the most logical place to put these space stations are going to be on the moons to all these planets.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Neptune's a, a gas giant. You know, there's really nowhere to land there. But observation stations from, from close proximity of these moons is a pre- perfect uh, sciences and research uh, uh, platform uh, for for everybody here on Earth to basically study these places long term from a very close range.
0: Now, uh, uh, I guess... Um <sighs> I don't know. I probably should know this, but we've already proven throughout the last episode and a half that my knowledge of space is not as as intact as I once thought it was. It's a lot bigger uh, than you imagine now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I'm – so I guess like what is our solar system really consist of? Because it seems like it may have gotten a little bit bigger over the last year's. Yeah, you know, even though like Pluto is now a dwarf planet, and the, but they found something beyond that that's also a dwarf planet, right? Correct. So is that is that part of our solar system? What? It's all I it's all defined... within our solar
1: system. Yes, Kuiper Belt's part of our solar system. Uh, uh, the only assets we've had to reach the boundaries of the solar system are the Voyager uh, one and two. I think one, two is almost on the verge of leaving the solar system. Uh, Voyager one has already left and is in interstellar space now. Uh, basically, our solar system is covered in a big bubble, uh, and the bubbles form from the uh, energy of the sun. The sun pushes this energy outwards. Uh, the interstellar space pushes this energy back, creating a big bubble around us. The bubble is somewhat oblong because the sun is also in orbit around around the uh, Milky Way galaxy. So, within this belt or within this big bubble is all of the solar energy and all of the objects that are within it. And the Kuiper Belt is just part of it. And all the Cooper belt shows is that there's still a hell of a lot more out there that we haven't even seen yet or even understand. So our solar system has gotten bigger in the last few years and at least in the last couple of decades, uh, uh, with new discoveries uh, popping out all the time.
0: Now would anything that's discovered beyond that point or, or beyond the bubble, I guess, is that, I guess it would be considered a new solar system? Well,
1: everything beyond our solar system is interstellar space until you get to the next okay. planet. So okay. basically, the next uh, planets we know of that exist are in Alpha Centauri, which is four point five light years away. It's a uh, it's a dual uh, uh, the binary system, the two suns that orbit each other. Okay. And according to science, they believe there is a large large planet uh, that orbits that sun from their observations. Uh, point four, 4. five light years away essentially means if you're traveling at light speed, you can reach there in four and a half years.
0: So, so in the, the 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 in terms of what travel we've been talking about, uh, seven to nine months to get to Mars. What does that equate to to get to there? That's four and a half light years away.
1: Oh, we couldn't make it in our in our lifetime unless we were to travel okay. at light speed.
0: Perfect. So. <laughs> That that's advanced technology that we just don't have yet to to get there. Correct. We do
1: have the uh, the idea uh, behind creating a ship that could reach there in four and a half years, uh, a ship traveling at close to the speed of light. But then you enter into a whole new realm of uh, of a mystery. It's not really mystery anymore. Uh, Einstein and his theory of relativity, and relativity in, in essence is is based on perspective. Uh, your perspective and my perspective. So from your perspective right now, you have a clock and you have a time registering on it. Your time is not the same time as my clock because my clock's in a different uh, time zone than yours. Mm -hmm. So from two different perspectives, we're in the same time, but not. And uh, uh, it gets worse as you leave a gravity well, uh, a gravity well of Earth, which is pretty significant. So as a traveler leaves Earth, Time appears to speed up to the person on the ground as compared to the person leaving the gravity well. And then when the person's in orbit, the person appears to speed up in orbit as compared to the person on the ground watching the asset flying around in orbit. The faster you go, the time dilation gets even worse. Uh, So, a trip at light speed to Alpha Centauri in four and a half years, by the time they reached there, stayed for a year, and decided to return, Earth would have probably aged many thousands of years.
0: Oh wow! Oh, that's super fascinating. Uh huh. So, now is is uh, that mean the the, the the science fiction stories we've all seen are? I don't want to say lying to us, but is is like I guess the warp drives that we have in uh, Star Wars and, and Star Trek and stuff is that essentially? Like traveling at the at light speed or or faster. Actually, um,
1: warp is actually a process, and science is actually looking at because uh, uh, there's there's, there's it's quite often that science fiction mimics science fact, or uh, yeah. precludes science fact, and warp. Yeah. Warping is essentially warping space. In other words, bending space to your will so that you can travel from point A to point B Without actually traveling you just disappear at one point and reappear at another okay. and uh, they term these wormholes uh, Okay, so wormholes are known to exist uh, Creating one is beyond our realm our, our scope of uh, of knowledge uh, They appear or just disappear anywhere uh, but according to science, science they do exist. Uh, if at some point in the future we're able to harness one, who knows if we can use it to travel in that method. Uh, but at some point, we're going to need to learn technology that we can achieve these great distances with without the time dilation.
0: Uh- Oh my God. I I love that. I I've spoken to a few people uh, about science fiction in the past, uh, whether it be on this show or just like a, a a written interview. Uh, And I, and that's such a common theme of um, like science fiction writers is saying science fiction is just fiction. Now, you know, it's, it's, uh, it can be science fact in, in year, you know, 10 years from now or whatever. Yeah. Uh, And it's, it's kind of cool and like when you, you saying that they're looking into it like i, I audio gasp came out of me because that's <laughs> that's so cool that i mean for, you were talking about before we mentioned that you're basically talking about you know star trek uh and, and for the most part with you know exploring space getting into deep space and stuff like that but uh just the idea of being in a Millennium uh, Falcon for the most part, like that, I like, and and they're they're looking into light uh, into warp drive, and and you want to get your in. mind blown again? Oh, let's do it! All
1: right, yeah. Uh, Have you seen uh, you seen the old Star Trek series? And I imagine the Star Trek movies.
0: Uh, Star Trek, I've seen you know bits and pieces of, um, so I know enough to probably fake it.
1: Okay. So with Star Trek, you've seen the Enterprise. Most everybody has. Um, but imagine a ship of the future. Uh, we need to create gravity for ourselves. Uh, gravity, we know, is a centrifugal force uh, that we can uh, control. We can't control regular gravity, so we can fake it. So with centrifugal force, uh, NASA and other agencies and scientists have studied possible uh, rotating uh, stations, uh, uh, one of the prime examples came about a long time ago in the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey with the rotating station that the characters reach uh, uh, at the beginning of the movie. Uh, the rotational aspect of a station uh, basically puts a centrifugal force along the outside edge. So in a sense, you're walking inside of a, perhaps, bicycle tire along the outside okay. edge where the gravity is, is the greatest. And a large wheel with a set spin cycle... Uh, can achieve uh, the, the 1G we're used to so that we can live and operate in space uh, as if we were on Earth. Now, imagine this wheel in space put on its side and it maybe stacked with a couple other wheels on top of it and then all encased in uh, radiation shielding. And then you attach your engines to it and you have the Starship Enterprise. Oh,
0: that's really cool. Oh, that could be. See, I I love the idea of of just making all my childhoods come true, all my childhood dreams of of space travel uh, come true. So, let's get it. I told you uh, last time I wanted to get into some some of the uh, other things when it comes to space, uh, and and maybe not so much the the sciency stuff of it, but the science fiction of it uh and we you know from last time we know that apollo uh that was like kind of your entry point into into space but right uh what what was it about um you know what, what what was your first um you know fictional space story that uh you know i guess grew your love even more for space oh i
1: imagine it had to be star wars the
0: original Star wars yep. yeah uh and that's pr- got to be almost almost everybody's uh, is Star Wars, uh-huh. um, and and uh, based on the fact that you uh, you know you you joined was was it the Navy uh, in eighty four, correct? Uh, so I would imagine then that you you are uh, one of the lucky souls uh, that were able to see that in theater the you know uh, the first one in theater. Oh yeah, I
1: saw it when I was a teenager.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, when you went to go see that movie, and maybe not so much when you w- walked into that movie, but when you walked out, did did you get the feeling that that Star Wars was going to be something as special as it is, oh God, what is it, 40 years later uh, we're at? Oh, yeah. Uh, the first
1: time we tried to go see it, uh, there was so many uh, hundreds of people at the theater. Uh, they were camped out in the parking lot. We couldn't see it the first day.
0: Oh wow. Well wow. uh, it was
1: that uh, it was that massive. I'd never seen a movie uh, that popular up to that point. And uh uh it was unheard of for having that crowd at that theater during that time frame uh when we when we witnessed it. Everybody was a phenomenon was was uh, wow. waiting there to go see this movie. And uh in essence it's a it's a I... vision of the future people want.
0: Yes, yeah. And so what do you think, and I i know everyone probably has their own answer, so what's your answer? What is it about Star Wars, uh, specifically the first one, A New Hope, that is so special that, that makes it as great as it is? Yeah, uh, especially in the
1: fact that uh, the characters themselves, uh, especially uh, when, when you're Talking from my point of view, uh, the exploration aspect of, of space travel, uh, the character of Han Solo in particular, uh, being able to be free with his own ship, uh, engage in his form of business. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you see something like that on screen, when you're brought down to a real world level of any individual can own a ship and do work to, to make a living. Uh, then you have the the dream of a human race that is now not only Earth-based, but solar system-based, or even, at some point, galactic-based.
0: Yeah, I um, for me, I just... I remember um, my favorite memory of, of Star Wars. Obviously, I, I watched it uh, much later in life. Um, I was probably... It was probably... I guess it could have been very late 80s, but I have to assume that if I'm remembering it, I couldn't have been five. I was probably closer to seven. So it was probably very early 90s was when my uncle first showed me that movie. And I remember mm-hmm. uh, sitting down and watching it with him. And like the one thing I'll always remember, and I talk about this story a lot. Is um when the the Tuscan Raider pops up and, and and like knocks Luke back and like that make that jump making me jump and me getting scared the first time I saw that, <laughs> uh and, and like that's like the like that's probably the the scene that I talk about the most only because it's it is the scene that I, I for whatever reason it's just like hammered into my brain, but um I what, like like you said what I love about Star Wars is is the idea of um probably more so the fun side of it, of just being able to hop in my ship and fly around. I mean, that's, it was a fun, a fun space story. Exactly. Uh, and it, you know, it wasn't anything more than that. Re- I mean, obviously there was a st- another story behind it, but the heart of it, I guess, was it's just a fun space story about traveling through space and, and discovering new worlds and, um, and having for me, like, you know, having a cool ship, having a really cool looking spaceship uh which is something that like has always kind of any any medium or or i guess any genre or story that takes advantage of maybe not a cool looking spaceship but a cool ship of some sort is always like you know i'm always i always uh, go towards that like um for x-men they have their their blackbird they have their their jet that they fly around and that's always really cool and um, you know, uh, more recently, uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy, which I don't know, did you see Guardians of the Galaxy? Yes, I did. Okay, so I, for me, uh, what's that? What'd you say? Good movie. Oh, I I really enjoyed it. I, before Force Awakens came out, uh, I have gone on record a few times saying that was, you know, a modern day. Star Wars as in as in that it was just a fun space adventure and you had the Alyssa or the Milano the the, that he caught his ship Uh, Mm -hmm. you know that it was just such a fun story and and, uh, something that you know as I've rewatched like the Star Wars movies and and obviously now we have Guardians of the Galaxy and and, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 something that is you know um, as I watched them and, and, and and as a teenager and being older, that fascinated me more was like the different races, the different alien races. Mm -hmm. Um, And like the idea of, oh man, is that out there? And so what's your, what's your thought on that? Let's go back to a little bit of science. What's your thought on, on uh, other races? And I, I'm, I'm guessing not in our solar system is, is what you possibly believe, but beyond that.
1: Yeah. Well, within our solar system and beyond, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, touch on, um, it is already known life is very prolific on Earth. Uh, You -hmm. can find it anywhere from the deepest oceans to the hottest regions on Earth. We find life, Uh, not necessarily intelligent life, but building blocks to life. Uh, Life more than likely exists on planets in the solar system. Possibly, again, not intelligent life, but building blocks to life. Uh, the uh, theorized oceans under Europa, if this warm water more than likely has life within it. It might even uh, surprise us what types of life. But uh, besides all of that, uh, the universe, uh, as massive as it, as it is, uh, you're talking billions upon billions of stars within our own galaxy. And when you combine the fact that there's billions of of galaxies out there, you have many more areas within our galaxy galaxy and beyond that have to have life. It's impossible for them not to have it. So the thought that there wouldn't be any intelligent life out there uh, uh, would be mind-boggling to me. Uh, I imagine the universe is teeming with intelligent life. Uh, The only problem is they're probably so far away from us It'll be many, many, many generations before we can even perceive actually meeting them. Um, Whether or not a super high advanced uh, uh, technology race has visited us in the past, I don't know. Uh, I believe it's possible because we don't, where we're at, uh, we theorize is not, not possible. Uh, simply because of our own perspective and our own knowledge and our own technology and where, it at, where it's at, at its current level. But that's not to say there's a nether race out there that has the technology to be able to travel far distances and be able to find new things. So it is, uh, generally speaking, in my opinion, possible for that intelligence life to have visited our solar system. But then you also come into the, uh, the fact that uh, life on Earth is different. Even though we're all human... And we have a human race, which I always term a one-race a one, one culture. Uh, I don't believe in multiple races because we are all human. We all bleed the same red blood, we all have the uh, same bones and the same materials that make up our DNA. The only thing that causes us to be different or look different is the regions around the globe that we grew up in and time. and. Uh, When you consider the vast time and distances that are involved in the solar system as we expand out, as we start dropping outposts at all these various locations, as those outposts begin to expand and draw more people, those various entities out across our solar system with all these vast distances will form their own culture and they will also begin to look different generation after generation due to their environment. We're going to be our own alien races eventually.
0: You know, and that's something that is always kind of touched upon. In uh, I shouldn't say always, but it is touched upon in science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is I guess you know it's just basic evolution. So, do you think that that we would, uh, as we evolve and 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 our car- cultures develop on these space stations, would 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 they would would we become too reliant on uh, the the lunar or well, I shouldn't say just the lunar, but on the space stations to kind of keep everything going, or would we eventually be able to um, walk out of the space station with no spacesuit and be able to thrive on you know the the on Mars on the moons and whatnot. Yeah, that's a very good question.
1: At some point, I would have to say yes. Uh, uh, near term, no. It'll probably be many generations before we're capable of the technology needed to. Basically, it would be similar to Star Trek and Star Wars with uh, uh, shields, uh, big bubbles that surround these stations where people could go outside the station and float around in space and do work and whatnot. uh, uh Shielding in itself could also, perhaps with a very large rotation, cause uh, artificial gravity or maybe at some point in the future we will become technically reliant on being able to control gravity and create actual uh, artificial gravity without a spin. Uh, I think uh, uh, technology and uh, human intuition uh, will win out in the end over every single problem that we uh, that we come across and we've proven it time and time again throughout history.
0: And I get, I want to go back to just talking about alien races cause it's fun. <laughs> uh, the, how, how would, and this is just, I guess would have to be, um, more, you know, just personal thoughts and opinions, but look, thinking of intelligent life outside of earth, outside of our solar system is, do you picture just another kind of humanoid, like, is there like another? Is there like another Earth out there that just basically has more human beings, or, or their equivalent of that? Or do you think it's a gets a little bit more fantasy or a little bit more science fictiony, and and you get to see like the like the pig people of Star Wars, or you get to see the the Tuscan Raiders, or whatever it is. Well, you got to do to answer that
1: question is look back at our own history on our own world and the various life forms that appeared here throughout uh, throughout the uh, ancient times. Uh, the human beings themselves, the Homo sapiens, us, uh, we were only one of several uh, humanoid races that were on Earth at the time. Uh, Neanderthals existed at the same time we did, and we kind of battled them out. So they went extinct and we didn't. Uh, several other humanoid uh, life forms also went extinct. So life is going to uh, form uh, how it needs to form within their environment. And, uh, and how well those lives succeed, according to nature, it will determine, determine whether or not uh, uh, that particular life form uh, survives and thrives. So I expect we would see from many of these different areas across the galaxy or across the uh, known universe would probably be surprisingly different from us.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I um I just uh I, I can't imagine, I don't know. I don't know why I or maybe it's I don't I can't it's I don't want to imagine just like more planets out there that are just basically human like normal human beings. I I like the fantasy aspect of it like there's intelligent dinosaurs out there you will
1: actually see that before we actually ever meet a, a true alien you'll see many different humanoid forms of life like i said as they as they spread out across the solar system and we start growing colonies generation after generation so those individuals will begin to look slightly different uh uh some of the aspects that create the pigment in our skin are just not needed inside of a uh, enclosed habitat. Uh, living in an enclosed habitat is going to have an effect on on, uh, on how we and our future generations uh, uh, come to look in the future. So all of these facts are, are in consideration. So your dream of many different humanoids uh, is plausible.
0: Well, so, so like the pigment, that just... Kind of, you know, in generations they're going to be make them basically albino. No, perhaps if they have no. Uh, but perhaps uh, the lighting
1: systems we use maybe even make us darker. Who knows? I don't know the particulars was, behind all of that, but uh,
0: I was hoping, as a pale white boy, that I would be able to fit in in, in space. No, you might, uh, but what if uh, what if our
1: station's right in the uh, right in the uh, uh, Callisto, right next to Jupiter, which outputs uh, a lot of light of its own? So, I mean, there's uh, many different determinative factors of where you go and, and what will happen.
0: Um, so moving away from space let's, uh, and, and going into science fiction again, though, is so, you know, since you're such a fan of space and, and obviously very knowledgeable about all that stuff. And, and we uh, talked briefly about Einstein and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? I want to I want to touch on like uh, there's two other like kind of major uh, science fiction-y things that I really enjoy. And I'm only thinking about it because uh, The Flash is coming back tomorrow, and The Flash uh, on CW touches on both these subjects. Uh, so th- I've, been th- I've been thinking about it today. Um, so what's your thoughts on on time travel? Uh, we'll start there.
1: Uh, my thoughts on time travel? We do it already.
0: <laughs> okay, Maybe okay. not to the
1: degree of, uh, of science fiction. Um, I believe it's uh, possible, like I believe anything's possible. Over time, at some point, somebody will discover a process that allows us to do it. Uh, Current theories suggest we could only go back so far as our birth, and no farther, because we didn't exist before that. But I I don't really necessarily believe in, in, in those theories. I believe at some point, because of great distances, we can bend time or time gets bent from speed or by by extreme gravity, gravity will at some point be the basis for time travel because great gravity, we already know, bends time and space. So with these aspects and with the possible uh, addition of wormholes, which we know to exist, uh, along with many other theories that are, that are being proposed, at some point, it'll be discovered. At some point, we'll figure out how to do it. Uh, what I do believe is that once we do it, uh, because history has already happened, or at least our history has already happened. If we were to go back, we'd be creating a new history, if you will. Uh, I don't believe that it would affect, uh, uh, if you were to go back, say, and uh, uh, one of the greater greater uh, uh, ideas, if you were to go back and change a major event in history, what would, uh, what would happen in the future? I don't think it would affect uh, at least your individual future, because your perception of time is different from mine. How's that sound?
0: No, I, 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 and that kind of leads into, and uh, into the other topic, but I, I do want to kind of stay on time travel for a second, but Mm -hmm. that kind of leads into like earth two and earth three and earth four, uh, and you know, alternate earths, alternate dimensions. (laughs) Uh, what's that? Yeah. sliders. Sliders. Oh, that was one of my favorite television shows, uh, as a kid, um, uh, And I started watching that show simply because of um, it's uh, the dude from Indiana Jones. I forget his name. Right. Um, But he's I I was an Indiana Jones fan and I recognized him from Indiana Jones. I was like, oh, I got to watch this show. Mm -hmm. And when that show appeared on Netflix, probably four or five years ago at this point, if not longer, uh, I was so happy to be able to rewatch that series. That's and, and I forgot about it. Probably in you know, probably for at least the last couple months. Because I, I every time I I pass it, I'm like, oh, I want to rewatch that again. <laughs> so I haven't thought about it in a while until you just mentioned it. But that is might be one of my favorite science fiction shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, such a great concept for a show. Such a great another thing. Kind of, I would say, I talk about time travel a lot, but when I really have to sit down and think about it. Uh, I think one of my favorite concepts of science fiction beyond space travel and 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 time travel would be uh, the alternate Earth. I think that fascinates me more than anything else. Uh, and and I mean, you kind of—I was going to ask you about about alternate Earths, but you kind of answered it in your time travel discussion. Uh huh. Um. So, but do you think there's, is there alternate Earths currently? Uh, uh, I mean, I, and I, I guess that's, again, all due to perspective, because right now we don't have the perspective of time travel, but I'll let you answer.
1: All right. Uh, basically, I think that, that uh, the, uh, the idea of multiple Earths uh, does exist, uh, simply beings because of the fact that there's... Many theories going around, uh, we already know there's four dimensions, On those four dimensions we can prove. Uh, you have your standard three dimensions, and then you have your fourth dimension, which is time. Uh, because time is a dimension in and of itself, uh, uh, those dimensions can be manipulated, including time, which we already know time can be manipulated by speed and by gravity. So because of all of this, uh, some of the other theories that go around, there's more than just four dimensions. Uh, uh, I've read uh, some research where there's somewhere up, upwards of around 24, or maybe even more dimensions than that. And uh, Stephen Hawking uh, uh, covers some of those, some of those theories. Uh, with that in mind, uh, we have really uh, can't imagine what, uh, what those uh, dimensions can, can determine but as you touched on and as the television show sliders touches on those dimensions uh, could be uh, uh, a reality that is maybe slightly or the same as compared to to our own reality and there's another theory that touches on and i'm trying to remember the remember what is called it's called superposition okay. uh, keep in mind the theory is based on the microscopic scale of an electron where an electron can exist supposedly according to the theory uh, in all aspects at once, but once you uh, incorporate a medium or a, 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 uh, uh, a monitor, if you will, somebody watching the electron, it only perceives what you perceive it's supposed to do. So if you were to fire an electron like a bullet at a plate, you know where it's going to hit. And if you were to fire that same electron without viewing it, it'll create a pattern that's, uh, that's, that's termed as a, uh, a wave pattern. Uh, And then the other pattern it creates is the straight pattern where you imagine the electron was supposed to hit. So in other words, the wave pattern possibly predicts that, in theory, that electron exists in all states at once. So if an electron exists in all states at once, but it only exists in your perception as you perceive it to exist, that means you just don't see into those other perceptions, or in a broader sense, those other universes where it does exist.
0: Yeah, I uh, and, and my love for I guess I was gonna say Flash, but it's got it's sliders. So I, obviously, sliders is my love <laughs> of, of of the other uh, dimensions because that because sh- that's exactly uh, where it started. At least at least for me, was sliders with the alternate dimensions and uh, and, and just the the idea of uh, i don't know how many times they did the bit where like oh we just see ourselves again um i know they did it a a few times i like i love the idea of um of seeing the different versions of you uh and there were so many of them uh Mm -hmm. in that show uh it got a little wonky when when he combined with a a different version of himself because jerry o'connell wanted off the show but Mm -hmm. um I still I, I it was such a, a good show. Uh, and make, I I'm pretty sure I'm going to go watch some episodes, at least one episode when we're done this because uh I need to start watching that show again. I need to, I need to go uh, on my sixth rewatch of it because it's such a good show. Wait. Anyway, um the I want to go back to time travel. What is um time travel has been represented uh vastly differently uh in in different um stories and 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 films and stuff what to you is the most plausible slash believable version of time travel with like the rules that are established in whatever story Uh, interesting
1: I would (laughs) say plausible or believable
0: yeah, There's, I mean, so many I, yeah I, There's so many of yeah. them out
1: there. Yeah, I would have to say uh, sliders, again, simply because of the okay. multidimensional aspect of it. Because I believe okay. if you were to, you were yourself, or to go back in time, you would actually be entering into a different dimension, or a different uh, okay. mini-universe that's a kind of a copy of this one, perhaps. Uh, except perhaps in that in that dimension you enter into a different time period. So I mean sliders is probably the best example of, according yeah. to my belief theories based on the sciences that are available.
0: Now, if let's say now okay, I for me time travel kind of I've always imagined it working both ways. You know, you can go forward, you can go backward um i i guess well, we, in we that know term like i've always kind of imagined back to the future as like right. a pretty good rule set uh-huh. um maybe maybe not necessarily the the method but the the rule set that they kind of put in place um i always kind of dug uh if if you were to, let's say, travel back in time, I, I just want to get your thoughts on this, and not change a thing, right. uh, would you still be creating an alternate universe? Would you be able to go back and be in the same you know, world that you were in?
1: You mean return back to the same place? Yeah. Uh That is a very good question. Um, I imagine it would be possible, uh, I think, if we were just starting out. Uh, uh, because because of the uh, the the terms, I believe that when you when you make these movements, uh, at mm-hmm. least according to to actual science and not necessarily science fiction, that the process of time traveling, you're in the process of bending time and space, um, mm-hmm. and in that process, you're going to a destination that uh, that uh, uh, is different. That if you were to be able to change it, which you would be able to, because you're there. Uh, that would change your normal future history, supposedly. Mm-hmm. So I think that once you've left to go to that point in time, everything that's supposed to happen to you in the future, at least you yourself, from that point in time from where you're at, will be different. Uh, can we return to the same place? I imagine we could once we, uh, once we are uh, learning capable. Uh, I think we can pretty much do anything we want to do once we get to that point. But I think uh, the sciences and the reality and the aspects of it are going to surprise us with even a lot more uh, uh, crazy information as, as we get there.
0: I I almost wonder based off what, you know, what we're saying now is if, if you were to travel back in time and, and something were to change or, or even if something weren't to change, just kind of based off what we're saying now, and you're basically just if you were to return to to your present uh, it would be kind of an alternate universe. Would that mean right. that you're just missing from let's say you traveled back in time would, are you uh-huh. missing from my universe now? Well
1: if you if you look at it when you make a trip any trip anywhere, you're missing from where you're supposed to be at. So it'll be just like you left and you just didn't return I imagine.
0: Oh, so see, that puts a spin on time travel that almost like a fear, a fear of time travel uh, <laughs> where, where I don't like I, I would not want to risk not coming back to, to my my universe. But that that is the stories of sliders trying to get back to their universe.
1: Correct. And uh, there's so many uh, of them. How do you know you're going to uh, get to the right one?
0: yeah uh it, it, you know it, you could get to one i i remember the the one episode that's coming to mind is when they get back to an earth that's almost completely identical but the one thing that they at least the first thing they notice is that it's not the golden gate bridge it's like a blue bridge uh-huh. or something uh that's just you know that's popped in my head right now not quite the um same. okay uh you need to have you and maybe you have we we I, I, maybe i just don't know this you should really write science fiction. Uh, you are well versed, uh, in, in the science of it and, and in the fiction of it. Uh, um, I'm
1: actually, uh, I am re- actually writing a science fiction, uh, with science fact novel.
0: Oh, that's perfect. I would love to, um, uh, talk to you about that when, when you're done that, uh, and, uh, you know, whatever you're ready to talk about, it, I'll, sh- I'll shoot you my email so that we can go through those channels, but yeah.
1: I've, uh, uh, I've actually been posting,
0: uh, portions of it to, uh, uh, Bane books. are hey super friends. Uh, our interview with Cade got cut just a little short as we were ending the show. Um, I don't know what happened, uh, but you know what? Pretty good success. We recorded for over th- uh, two and a half hours, I think, or close to it. Uh, over two days when he was you know nine hours plus ahead of me. It was a really um, difficult interview to schedule because of the time difference and um, it just kind of worked out that his morning worked for my night and we we, we got hooked up and um, what an amazing conversation I had with Kane about the moon, Mars and beyond and The stars and space and stuff Um, Such a great conversation Really enjoyed it Um, Make sure you check out Bane Books And just search for Kate Aldwich And you can find his book I think he said he's posting some excerpts there So make sure you go there to check that out Um, Make sure you follow The Global Space Organization on Facebook Just go to facebook.com Global Space Organization And make sure you check out their website GSO-space.org Again that's GSO-space Space.org, um, and I want to uh, just talk about something that's um, <clears throat> pretty obvious at this point. Uh, this episode is about a week behind, uh, if not more, based you know depending on when it goes up. Uh, everything is awesome. Awesomepodcast.com has been a little silent for the month of November, uh, at least the first two weeks of it, um, and I will fill you guys in. <laughs> um shortly in a bonus episode, I'm sure, before the end of the year, before probably even um, the holidays, after Thanksgiving, but before the, the other holidays. Um, it's, um, rest assured, we're still here, we're back. Actually, as I'm recording this, I'm getting ready to go to set Sound. Uh, they're hosting us for their, um, for a live podcast show, so that's really cool of them. So uh, we're still kicking, we're still doing things. Um, I had a family emergency uh, that happened very early, on in the the month um, uh, of November of 2016 here. Uh, and I'm still kind of dealing with that as far as like my emotions and whatnot. We'll talk about it. You listen to episode 37. You have an idea. You know me. You have an idea what happened. Um, and when I'm ready to talk about it, we will. Until then, I have tons of audio that I'm trying to catch up on and get out to you guys. Uh, I believe if you're listening to this, uh, you know before the 23rd before Thanksgiving, it means we're on time. We're we're good. We're, we're we're getting there. We're on time with our audio. So um, big thanks to all the super friends out there for uh, thoughts, prayers, and, um, you know, just the, the general understanding of why I haven't posted anything in the last couple of weeks. I know you guys, um, not super friends necessarily, but I know podcast listeners expect to see something every Wednesday or whatever day the podcast is supposed to come out in the same way with my podcast that I listen to, um, but I hope that, like me, I understand when, you know... You gotta take care of yourself. You gotta take care of family first. So hopefully you guys understand. And um, just I appreciate you guys for following me along for the last. 41 episodes i think we're at now so thanks a lot guys um we got some stuff special you know planned for episode 50 we got a big birthday bash to celebrate for everything is awesome coming up at the end of january so you know i I assure you we're kicking uh we're gonna celebrate we're gonna be back to normal real soon uh, or as normal as we can get when it comes to uh uh life and whatnot um thanks to Cade for being on the show what a great interview like i said uh and uh thanks to you guys for listening you can find me on twitter at that nerdy kev you can find the show on twitter at real awesome pod uh for everything is awesome i'm kev we'll see you next time right here only on awesome podcast.com we've been awesome